Hey everyone, welcome to the Going in Circles Big Monday show. We had a big racing weekend, a lot to recap. Uh, our man, Barry Spears, will be with us in just a minute, as always. Today we have a special guest, Joey Bianca from TDN, is going to be on with us. Uh, we've known Joey for a while, I've known Joey for a long time. Um, but uh, Barry and I have both been on his show, and he's a, a good dude, got a good opinion, and sees things clearly, which is not always what happens in horse racing, but uh, we'll have Joey on, we'll talk about a bunch of the races, what it means, the implications, uh, we'll have our weekly stewards rebuke, because what happened this weekend is just kind of, just kind of racing, um, but we got a lot to talk about, and uh, you know, the next few weeks are going to be light, so so bear with us. We'll be back here in a minute. Hello, sniper, sir. Say hey. Hey, hey, hey. It's Fat Chuck. <laughs> yeah, man. How's, uh, how's things down there Thing, uh, in the Daytona area? You guys getting all settled in? Uh, getting back to normal slowly. Still, there's in waterways are still high and we're supposed to get a little bit of rain in the next couple of days so we'll see how that works out but yeah 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 i hear you it's funny everybody on the news goes nuts about the uh the hurricanes when they're happening and then the direct aftermath and it's usually the worst. Then, then everybody forgets about it. Right. As soon as it hits land, everybody looks at it, and then it's like, oh, like even even the 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 Fort Myers stuff is kind of fading away, you know, from the media. Even though pretty much Fort Myers is gone, but yeah, it's it's going to be a, a long for them I mean there's uh, you know the town is just gone so, so anyways um, it's good to hear that you guys are, are back in normal activities <laughs> um, this weekend we had a, a ton of races and uh, we're going to have a guest tonight Oh, that's right. A rare guest appearance. Our, our, our guy, Joe Bianca, is going to be on with us. And I'm um, going to get his thoughts on, on the weekend's action. And there was uh, there was tons of it. Tons of it. Yeah, there, there, was, there was a lot going on this weekend. I mean, you know, Keeneland definitely occupied a lot of people on Friday and Saturday and you know, the, it was a pretty good racing weekend considering how close we are to Breeders' Cup. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think, you know, something you had said the other day about the lack of, of star power in a lot of these races it wasn't necessarily that they were bad races, but um, 
a lot of the better horses are, are you know, training. Training up to. Training to. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Words that make people cringe. And a lot of times they're training up to run seventh. You know, so only one, one horse can wage <laughs> in this race. Uh, and it, it's, um, it's frustrating. I know it's frustrating for racing fans. And uh, it's just the way that, that things are, are these days. And it doesn't mean that the races weren't important because there was a ton of win in your ends. Though, as we always say, they would have been in anyways. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the truth, man. It's the truth. And I got no problem with the win in your ends. I mean, you know, it's cool and all. But Yeah, I don't have any problem with it. But the, I guess the the inherent issue with it is that it's not an incentive for anything. Well, because, it is. Uh, it it only is for the owners who are, um, you know, getting a free ride. Which, hey, it's the Breeders' Cup, and I don't have a problem with that. I, I really don't. I just think, as we've talked about before, that, uh, and, and we are kind of, you know, telling people how to spend their money. But I just think that money could be uh, used in in a better fashion. I just don't know that. Um, that they're really um, maximizing the amount of money that they're, they're putting out there. And, and uh, you know, we've talked about this a bunch of times and people are probably tired of hearing about it, but you know, some sort of series of, of races that, that ties the races together and creates a road to the breeders cup, as opposed to just having more or less random races um, like the first lady, which was, uh, it's a grade one. It's at Keeneland every year. It's a pretty representative field. There's always a couple, two, three that, that go to the Breeders' Cup. That, that's not a, that's not a win in your race. And, uh, we're, Joe, Joe is here. Oh, hey, what's up, fellas? Hey, you're, uh, you're on with the sniper, of course. And, 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 uh, and me, and, uh, we were just kind of starting to go over, some of the, uh, the the action from this weekend, uh, there was, I mean, a ton of races to, to talk about. And I wanted to get you and, and Barry's thoughts on some of the races and uh, obviously some stronger than the others. Uh, we have our, our annual or actually, excuse me, annual, our weekly stewards controversy. Actually, we have uh, it's kind of a two parter. <laughs> Can't Man, we got we got to sell that to a sponsor. Like, you know, Stewart's <laughs> Corner. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by so and so, some law office. You need like a law yeah. office. Hey, <laughs> the uh, what's his name? Um, Drew Mollica, the law office of Drew Mollica. <laughs> yeah, <sponsors laughs> this week with the stewards. <laughs> I know Drew's a little media shy, so I'm not sure if he would be okay. <laughs> yeah, Drew's also pretty cheap too. But um, but when he used to bartend, when he was when he was, you know, Drew used to be a, a jocks agent. And he also used to bartend at Ciro's. Uh, right. At the same went, time? Yeah, putting himself through law school as well. Um, but he, he's, you know, he set himself up nicely because uh, these days there's plenty of uh, work for a uh, legal office that has an expertise in racing. That's for sure. Craig Robertson's uh, got to be like a billionaire by now. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't spend too much. But, uh, but Drew's a good guy, and 
Yeah, he is. He's he's always willing to ask questions, answer questions off the record, but hey, you know, if he's not answering well. Um, but what you know, Barry, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you lead off here. Where where should we start? (laughs) I don't know. You want to start with? Let's start with the spinster. All right, we'll go we'll go backwards then. Backwards. All right, the spinster. Um, give us your uh, your impressions of the spinster. Uh, I think it it was very evident. I mean, we kind of thought this anyway that Latruska was not the same horse she was last year. Um, but uh, Saturday solidified that, or was it Sunday? Saturday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, yesterday. Uh, I know, it seems so long ago. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, that it stamped her as, as you know, not the same animal she was last year, and Malthat did everything she was supposed to do. You know, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm you, you're never going to hear me, like, be overly excited about mouth at because she kind of wins the same way every time and she's been subject to a lot of perfect trips perfect setups not you know smaller fields and i think it's going to catch up to her hopefully in the breeders cup because i think she might be favored um nick tamaros said on on steve this morning that he was at this point and i'm not sure what would change other than maybe uh, drawn post 14 or something that he's planning on making her the favorite. Now, is he going to make her nine to five over two to one? I, I don't know, but that's, that's, yeah, that, I mean, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, her and Nesta are really close as far as, you know, their year, body of work, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I, I think that might be one of the better races on the day. Hopefully it will be. Um, I don't gather it's going to be a big field, but, I don't know. I I mean, it's hard to say because, uh, like last year, I didn't think it'd be a big field either, and I wound up getting a, a lot of horses that I, I wasn't expecting to even be in there. And um, and then of course we we don't know who's coming from Japan, do, do we? I mean, uh, that was the other thing. Do we have any idea who's coming from Japan? All right, Mister Joe, what's, what what do you think? I don't know. I thought that was kind of visually the most dominant when she's had i i think kind of with barry i'm not i've never ever been a huge malathod fan i think she's just one of these horses that's kind of beaten up on some soft older philly and mare divisions and now that latruska has seemed to kind of spit it for her career i think that that was a one horse race and she would have had to fall down to lose she got a 98 buyer which is like nothing nothing to write home about but on the other hand, she's just one of those horses who shows up every single time. And I think you got to at least appreciate that about her. She's now, what is she, nine for 13? She's got three seconds and a third, never been off the board. So, and she's she's tractable, you know. she's doesn't have to be way far back. She can sit a little bit closer. I mean, she's even gone to the lead in the past. Didn't work out in the CCA Oaks. But, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, once Latruska proved – that she's not the same horse as she was last year and the year before, you know, she kind of had to try to lose that race. I got suckered into playing played hard. You know, I was just, I thought she was the now horse and was kind of 
on the way up, I thought she would get a good trip stalking Latruska and then get the, get the first run of Latruska backed up, and, and she kind of got that, but that other filly kind of got in, in the way a little bit, the big long shot, but she obviously had no, had no excuse not to even be second in there with the with Army wife getting up there for a 22-1. to one. Yeah, I mean, no, not a not a huge mal at that guy, but you know she's she has to be respected in the distaff for sure. You know, all last year, Barry and I called for trainers to take a shot against Latrushka. Yeah, and they kept giving her an easy lead. Yep, and I think that is one of the things that's changed this year right. because she came out. back and she ran in the race at Gulfstream, which was basically like a preseason game. I mean, she she could have won that if I was riding her. That 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 was just you know, I mean, she was totally dominant there but it was totally overmatched then she came to new york and search party took a tour yeah and she quit yeah uh, yesterday she they they took a tour again uh at saratoga they took a tour and she isn't when she gets an easy lead she gets she gets bold which is typical of you know top top flight front runners um and yesterday you are um and and Rosario they, they didn't even mess around. I mean he was he he left out of there with intentions. Yeah. And it's it's like the the uh, the intimidation factor is gone on Latrushka. Right. They they got the playbook. They know right. they they know that if she gets out there by herself, right. she's gonna be tough and so I mean and, and you know, listen, may, maybe she has lost a step. I mean clearly it looks like she's lost a step, but she's not getting the setups that she got last year where everyone just literally let her go and it didn't make much sense. Yeah. Like that race at Churchill, she ran um, where they just literally just let her go. She dares the devil, which we thought would be like tracking her sat like five lengths behind her. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world are you going to give her a five length head start and beat her at Churchill? (laughs) It's never going to happen. But you know, the one thing that that constantly bothers me about Malathat is that Clariere was the better of the two. Until she got put in concussion protocol after the uh, the race, when she <laughs> slammed her head up against the the, the rail and uh, she I mean, pulled the two the gate and, and just like you know trailed. She was like out of it, you know. I mean that that's a race for a line through. And I mean Nest keeps impressing me to the point of like yesterday going down the backside. They were going pretty slow and the track was kind of deep and. And I was thinking, you know, maybe, maybe she's she's in trouble a little bit here. And then it was like they hit the stretch. It was she, almost like she had some kind of tractor beam. She hit the horses in front of her and just kind of like levitated by them, you know, like seven or eight wide. And man, it just um, I and and I know that wasn't really you know grade one competition, um, but it was older horses. And she didn't have a great setup, and she just completely crushed them. I mean, she just, you know, made them cry uncle. So she's devastating. Like, I, you know, I think that Shug Philly is actually going to end up being okay first to act. And I'm surprised to hear Nick say that that Malathot's going to be the morning line favorite because I think Nesta is going to be favorite. I just think she's got too much buzz. She's got that big, long winning streak now, and she's just been toying with horses obviously three-year-old fillies for the most part but good lord like has anyone has, has there been a philly more a three-year-old philly more visually impressive in the last couple of years than her like she's just 
She, she does it every single time now. No, and uh, Rapoli announced today that she's going to definitely come back tomorrow. Or tomorrow. Yeah, he said uh, it after the race. Actually, I don't know like why it didn't become a story after the race, but yeah, he said it yesterday. Did he? Did he? Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's I mean, obviously good news, and it's uh, great. Know, I said on Twitter, the good thing about mares is they can only have one baby a year. If she was a stallion, she'd she mow Donegald. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? But um. That's just the way it is, and, and it's good to see. And, and uh, I mean, based upon who comes back next year, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see her in against Colts. Yeah. Especially at the longer distance, because the mile and a quarter and, and beyond just doesn't seem to give her any problem at all. Yeah, I mean, is there anybody besides Flightline that you think she couldn't mess with going, you know, two turns, eight mile and eighth mile and a quarter? I don't think so. Nope. No, no, no. I mean, that was nobody her age. <laughs> no, yeah. certainly no one her age. I mean, I know in thoroughbred she runs a little bit faster than Malathat does, and she's yeah. three, which I mean, generally from three to four is is where you see a big jump. And uh, I mean, she's already running really, really good numbers. And I mean, it's just hard to knock her. You know, I I thought early in the year maybe she was a little pace compromised, but now she's able to to you know stay even closer and 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 not have that bother. Well, yeah, and she's like and being by Carlin too. You would think she's going to get a little bit better as she gets older. And now, you know, she's had a decent amount of seasoning under her by now. That, you know, I don't know how much better she can get, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see her take a step forward as a four-year-old. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt, and it, it's, uh, I mean, every single race she seems like she gets a little bit better. And yep. It's hard to that. That's a hard thing to do, but um, I said this. I've said this before, but I it's I kind of feel bad for Secret Oath, like. I think in, mo- in most years, in most years she would be like cruising to a three-year-old Philly championship right now, and <laughs> instead she just gets her doors blown off by Nest every time they meet up. It's instead, everybody's like, "I can't believe they're running her in a distaff." <laughs> <laughs> exactly, like the the bloom come came off the rose completely just because of Nest. Yeah, I, I believe that she is entered. Secret Oath has entered in one of the Broodmare sales. Um, post breeders cup right right after yeah yeah so i mean we've seen horses entered in those races and not actually go through the ring but um it, it appears like uh like she's headed towards towards uh you know brute. of course we don't know who's gonna buy her as well i mean we've seen horses change hands monomoy girl changed hands uh though she only wound up making a start or two after um because she got hurt but uh well, he's the daughter of uh, Arrogate too. I mean, it's not not going to be a ton, unfortunately, of like great daughters of Arrogate on the racetrack, and so I think she she actually will be in high demand because of that. Yeah, that's a good point. It's 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 kind of uh, um, you know mixed emotions about seeing the Arrogates run so well now. And yep, no, absolutely. He was gone, and, then, and Ernie maybe put up something on Twitter about uh, Twitter or Facebook, one or the other, about you know. I don't care. His four run, uh, you know, his four race run from the Travers to Dubai was as good as I ever saw. And, you know, for a four races in a row. Um, and arguably it, it would. I mean, I mean, I, I was pretty young when Spectacular Bid had his four year old season in 1980, um, where he just literally set a track record every race. <laughs> carrying you know, 133 pounds it just you know destroyed them but for modern times i don't know if you can find a better four race um 
a sample then to Travers, the Breeders' Cup Classic, the Pegasus, and the Dubai Race. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to beat. I mean, the, the Travers thing was just ridiculous, especially since he was 11-1. to 1. Like, I was a big Arrogate fan, and it's a little scared of the rails. So I bet him a little bit, but then after that race, I was like, wow, I should have crushed him because he'll be 3-5 to five in every race now for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> And so for them, for him to back that up in the classic and then the stuff he did in, in the Pegasus World Cup and the Dubai World Cup, it's a shame. It's a shame that he came back and, and wasn't the same horse. And I, I would have liked to see him run outside of Del Mar. You know, I generally I don't like to give horses the excuse that they hate the track, but I just thought it was weird that he came back and ran three times all at Del Mar and stunk up the joint every single time. So I would have liked to see him run somewhere else. But yeah, I mean, for that. For that six months or nine months or whatever it was, he was probably the best horse in 20, 25 years at least. Yeah, he didn't look the same. He looked like a totally different horse when he was at Del Mar. It was crazy. Yeah. And Collective was an okay horse that he lost to in the in the Classic, but those other two races he ran were just abysmal. Yeah. I, I, I kind of liken him to Equine Bo Jackson. Mm. He kind of showed up out of nowhere. And yeah. I- and he was brilliant, and for a couple of years, in this case, you know, uh, six months or seven <laughs> months, and then that was it. I mean, he got hurt, and I remember when Bo Jackson got hurt, like, nobody thought, like, he's done. And he did play baseball for a couple of years after that, but he, he never was the same player. It, it just was like, oh, well, you know, he gets hurt. Players get hurt in football all the time and come back, and then he was just, you know, kind of mysteriously never the same, and and you know, arrogate the same thing. He, he just—it's like he lost his superpower. He used it all in, in Dubai, <laughs> which we're, we're, honestly, the Dubai race has to be. It's hard to say this was the greatest race you ever saw. And I mean, I didn't see Secretariat; I wasn't there. Um, but I mean, we've all seen it eighteen million times. But it's got to be one of the top four or five races. I mean, the horse had no chance. He was dead last in, in what, 14? 14 horse field, yeah. It was Gunrunner. It wasn't like he was he was running down some horse who'd been winning the, you know, races in Abu Dhabi. I mean, it was freaking Gunrunner. And, uh, you know, who turned out to be uh, the best horse of the year, you know, the horse of the year that year. So, well, he ran by him like he was standing still, too. Like it wasn't even like he just squeaked by him by a half length. He yeah, blew past him. Just- Blue right, pass him as if all that other stuff down. hadn't happened. It was great. Right. And it's not like Gunner is a slouch sheep. <laughs> yeah, well, he's a monster. Uh, all right, and so that, we covered. Um, we got two of them, right? We got the nest race, right? We got that one. We got the the spinster. Um, Three hours to... later, we're still talking about nest. American. Yeah, really. Um, Phoenix. Uh, I want I want to talk about the, the Woodford because after. Oh the yeah. Croy, I, I was completely Barry can tell you. I, I was completely flummoxed. Oh man, the 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 group chat was because in I, meltdown mode. I, I couldn't understand what the hell Wesley was thinking of. Like, it, it just it, it blew my mind. Number one, that he would try to rape that horse on purpose. The horse's greatest strength is that he leaves the gate as fast as any thoroughbred that I can remember. And I mean, I, I thought back years and years and years about, you know, some great sprinters. I don't remember a, any horse in graded stakes competition consistently opening up two or three lengths in the first 
jump. 50 yards of a race <laughs> like he did. And, and I mean, it's like a head start. And to give that away, and then he starts talking about running him on the dirt. And I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Is there something wrong with the horse? Because why would he change the the um, the formula that already won you two Breeders' Cup races? And I know it doesn't work overseas, but overseas is overseas. And you know, in the U.S., he's virtually unbeatable doing it one way. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's any breeders out there that are going to say, oh, I wasn't going to breed to him. But now that he's proven he can he can sit third behind grade three horse. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to breed to him now. It just, it, you know, the dirt thing I could see where you'd say, well, you want some versatility, but you know, you're almost a layup in the breeders cup over a track. You've already won a breeders cup race on. And I was just like, Joey, what was your thoughts during that? Because Barry, I mean, I know Barry's thoughts about it. <laughs> I mean, and obviously none of it worked because he came back, he worked the horse at Keeneland on the dirt uh, a month ago, and he worked ridiculously slow, like like the like the sixteenth of seventeenth works, and then it was then it was like oh yeah the phoenix is off and uh, we're back to turf sprinting and it was like it never even happened. Yeah, I mean I I agree, and in general I'm I'm in favor of just keeping horses with what they do best. You know, I just sometimes I think trainers, jockeys too, try to reinvent the wheel a little bit with horses and. Yeah, he, you're like like you're saying, his talent is singular. You know, he just doesn't – there aren't many horses who can do what he does, go 20-4, and 43-3, and three and just keep on going and, you know, open up. And, you know, I get it that, you know, commercially it's probably more viable to have a, you know, two-surface sprinter than, than just a turf sprinter. But it's also – I think it's going to sound pretty good to breeders to have a three-time Breeders' Cup winner back-to-back-to-back because he's just – you know he's he's head and shoulders above everybody else in that division. I actually tried to beat him on Saturday. I, you know, I, I, I agree with you guys that the the ride was a little little questionable and the tactics were a little questionable in Detroit. But I also just didn't love him in the last sixteenth, not putting those horses away regardless. So I tried to beat him. I think he was maybe over the top a little bit with all the European traveling and such. And man, he made me he made me look stupid because you know he just he never looked like a loser in that race. Super super powerful. And I think he loves. I think he likes Keeneland in particular. Something about that five and a half furlongs of Keeneland. Like he's just, he's so dominant. And yeah, I, you know, I, I think especially with that, he's going to be even tougher to beat at, at Del Mar because, you know, no one could touch him on Saturday unless there's, unless like that Australian horse who beat him at, you know, at Royal Ascot comes over. Who, who's going to beat him in November? You know, it's, it seems like an impossible task to me. Yeah, yeah I, I, I had a different. I tried. View. I tried to beat him too. <laughs> I, I had a different view. Oops. I mean, I I wasn't so hard on him for that Troy barely win. Um, I kind of took it with a grain of salt because the way I saw the race, I I didn't think they tried to hold him back. I think he he kind of got a bad break and then got shuffled a little bit. Um, but he still didn't look that good. And yeah. I don't know, it, there was something about that race on, on Saturday that, you know, it, it it was crazy because he didn't look like he was going as fast as he was. And you know, that's it, that's you know, his thing. About him is that he, he ran two months ago, but he had that really, really slow dirt work. He only had two works. Like, it almost felt like he, like Wesley ran him here a, a little short. Uh, 
sports short, but you know, right. just like he wasn't cranked to the, you know, wanting him to be better a month from now, which makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, he, he kind of went and the next day, you know, Wesley scratched a horse um, out of the two-year-old turf sprint that would have been like two to five two in to there, five. <laughs> you know, because he was afraid yeah. that he might be over the top and, and, uh, and you know, I, I mean, listen. Wesley points to these races, and he points horses to sprint races, that, and they don't really even look like they figure at all, and they wind up winning. Or, or I mean, even the horse uh, in the Thoroughbred uh, Club of America, the the sprinter that, that the New Mexico horse uh, won. Oh, slammed. Yeah. I mean, Wesley's horse showed speed, and and ran really good. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that the Breeders' Cup is probably the time to beat him. Um, I just don't know who, who like, I mean, I don't like betting the Euros in, in those races. No, not in a sprint. No, no, I, they just, I just, I mean, they have a, they haven't had a whole lot of success and B, I mean, at this track with this turn and, and his gate speed, I mean, you looked at the race, um, on Saturday and the horse of uh, makers, Artemis city limits, <laughs> that horse goes to the lead every time and he goes you know, sub 22, sub 21 dusted and, and he couldn't even keep up. Got dusted. It's yeah. So who's going to run with them in the Breeders' Cup? Barry, no. I mean, I just hope from the brick man. I just have a, a feeling that he's, he might not show up. Hmm. I mean, there was, there was, there was, a, there was some question marks. I mean, you can't, or at least for me, I can't just ignore all the, all the context of what was going on where he was like trying to go to dirt then, you know, maybe raiding the horse, stuff like that. I mean, th- there's got to be something there. Um, and for him just to, to come off of that Troy, run as big as he did on Saturday, I don't know. I, I think he, he, he might be ripe for an upset on Breeders' Cup Day. You know, if the race was at Belmont and they were racing six furlongs yeah. or backwaduck, whatever you want to call backwaduck. it, six furlongs. <laughs> I would give Big Invasion a big chance. I just don't know if Big Invasion is he going need, to be. It, it, I, I kind of throw the Kentucky Downs thing out. He was on the worst part of the track. It's Kentucky Downs, and they seen a lot of horses that go there and just don't like it. And um, you know, you're running up a hill at the end. And uh, I mean, it's not a surprise that Wesley never ran him there either. So. Uh, and I don't I, love I, deep closers there anyway. Like you're no, saying with the hill, no, like climbing the hill at the end. Like there's so many times where I think I'm like, okay, a dead aim, like at the eighth pole or sixteenth pole, and just going up that hill, they can't quite get there. Right. I don't like deep closers at Keeneland on the turf either, to be honest. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's going to be a big field because number one, it's a big, it's a big turf sprint with a big purse. In this country, we just don't have much, and I think that's part of the. That's one of the things that you know. Barry and I complain about a lot over the, the the years that we've done the show that the Breeders' Cup, to me, hasn't really put forth much support for some of their, their um, quote-unquote championship races before um, the race. I, I would like to see them use a little bit of their muscle and kind of create uh, a series of races that lead up to the Breeders' Cup turf sprint, especially because you're not having to worry about tradition there there virtually is little tradition in turf sprints in this country 
Uh, so, you know, it's not like, oh, well, we always run this race this week and this race is traditionally this place. And you don't have that with that. And I would just like to see a turf, uh, like, you know, a division kind of created because as it is, it's just a hodgepodge of races. And I mean, we're sitting here right now a month before the the race and, and we can name, you know, two horses that are going to run in it. But I mean, I, I don't know who else is going to run in that race because I mean, look at the race at Parks uh, a couple weeks back. Perf Monster. That, that was like a that was like a starter race. <laughs> no, that was a Grade Three, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, so with the, the Woodford? No, the Turf no, Monster. No, uh, the Turf Monster. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of of what um what what other races there's been. The Troy was the before Troy. Saratoga. Um. They ran one at the at, at Aqueduct the other day. Um, didn't they run one, or is it next week? They had the Belmont Turf Sprint. Yeah, at, the Belmont Turf at Aqueduct. Sprint. Yeah, and that was uh, oh, that was the day it was really uh, kind of foggy. And, yep, um, it was yeah, it was rainy as hell too. Michelle Nevin, right? Was that what yeah, was Dancing Buck? Yeah, yeah. Dancing I mean, Buck. those are those are nice horses and all, but they're not like what you'd think. Like when you think Breeders' Cup, that's not the type of horse you think. So, so anyways, um, let's talk about the two-year-olds because they are always kind of a hot-button issue, and there's so many horses that really are unproven going into these races at at the distance and at the class, and there's tons of maiden breakers. Um, What what did you guys think, before we get to the the California race, what did you guys make of... um, of the British futurity. Uh, I'll go first, I guess. I thought that was one of those things where I was expecting us, the stewards to like overreact to all of the recent controversy, like with Sonny Leone <laughs> and Tyler Gaff Leone. And I was like, this is the time they'll cut, they'll try to make a point and like send Irad to the penalty box and DQ the horse. I thought it was the right call. Cause I thought, you know, he did lean over a little bit on him, but I don't think the Brad Cox horse ever really, he didn't break stride. There wasn't really much contact. Thought it was a little tight, but in general, I don't think that that's why he lost the race. And I think that's one of the things that Irad is really, really good at, actually. And I know a lot of people hate him for his aggressive riding style and the way he likes to drift and herd. But I think in general, he's pretty good about intimidating horses without making contact. Like, you know, I, it's not why life is good one in the Whitney, but when he came over into John Velasquez's path, I think he was just clear enough. And, you know, you can say it's a little reckless. And I, I understand the argument that people have a problem with him, like, you know, kind of taking it close to the line. But I think in generally speaking, he's, he's very good at that. He's very good at the intimidation without interfering thing. And that's a big part of race riding. You know, I think, Javier Castellano has been very good about that in the past. I just think that there's certain riders that know how to toe the line and not go over it the way, say, Paco Lopez does. Barry? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I I was actually impressed by Forte. I didn't, you know, kind of made, made his own trip, um, which was surprising. And then the, the horse uh, coming up the rail – you know, got in a little bit tight and I, I didn't think they would take him down. Um, but he did get days, I think, right. A couple. Yeah. Three days. Uh, <laughs> he got the, the, the three day, uh, 
vacation special. Exactly. Yeah, I thought that. I thought that there was a it comes with a free flight to Puerto Rico. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I thought the top four ran pretty good. Instant Coffee is a horse that, you know, I kind of liked, but probably at a shorter distance. Um. But yeah, I mean, those top two were really good, and it it kind of indicates that this crop might be okay, but. We'll see what happens come, you know, on, on Breeders' Cup Day. But so far, so good. I, I agree with Joey about the, I don't think the horse should have come down. Right. Yeah, I, I don't the, think he should have came down. The controversy comes because the day before the stewards decided to play God and take a horse down for uh, drifting on the turn, even though there was actually no visual evidence of a foul which is that was unbelievable which yeah, that was really, bad that was unreal so, you know they do this to themselves when they, they get second guess because even though they gave irad three days nobody cares i don't care right. three days what difference does it make to me if irad gets three days nothing it means nothing it, it, it's not you know it's not part of our our deal so that you know, and, and it's a joke of a punishment, anyways. These guys make thirty and forty thousand dollars a week sometimes. So you're going to sit them down for three days, all days. I mean, New York. I, I don't know what days they were scheduled to run in Kentucky, but New York doesn't even run on Wednesdays. And the other two days, there's no stakes scheduled, so it's all allowance races, maiden races, which isn't something that these guys are really going to be too upset about losing. And uh, it just is, it's the, the feeling that as a better um, or the connections of, of the people on Friday who were taken down, they feel it just has that air of, oh, um, you know, we're, we're going to protect, uh, um, we're going to, we're going to make a statement in, in this race because it doesn't matter as much as this race. And, and they didn't even put an inquiry sign up. And that that's really, you know, the sign to me that like, it just seems as though there's a double standard within that booth in that there wasn't even an inquiry sign. How can you watch that race and not even put the inquiry sign up? Well, it's, it's so weird. Like, you know, with that race on Friday, you know, it's, I, I like in theory having the stewards explanations. Like, I think that that's good in terms of increased transparency, but when they say things that are patently untrue, like the 12, <laughs> the 12 carried the 11 past the middle of the track, like, it was just definitely not true watching the race. So I don't know how yeah, how helpful that is, you know, to have those stewards explanations and then for them to tell you something that just didn't happen. It's, it's like, I feel like we're going backwards in that way. Yeah, that, that was just a bad call. I mean, there's just no way around it. And, yeah. and we're advocates of the stewards straightening the riders out because I am not a fan of race riding. I, I remember, you know, but people go back, oh, I remember Cordero. I, you don't remember that that's not true you can watch the races they're a little bit grainy <laughs> but you watch the first 12 Breeders cups there is no swerving there is no cutting guys off there is no hurting there is nobody intimidating it just didn't happen like people want to make it out to, to have it happen it just didn't happen and, i mean and ben, you know everything was different back then but you know the rail was not a place you were allowed to come up. If you came up the rail, it put you over the rail. So guys didn't try. Um, I'm not, and I'm not advocating for that. But 
there, there needs to be these guys can ride straight and that is a, a hurting is a far more dangerous <laughs> situation than six strikes of the crop um and I, the, the thing the problem i had with with friday's result is that there was no real foul you know oh the horse carried the other horse out that happens every single race and and there's no difference between path one and path four or path five and path eight i mean it's the same thing and if if when the horse the 11 ducked in the rider hit the horse so you can't even tell me that he um impeded him because the rider wouldn't have hit the horse with the stick he, he would have been doing the opposite right if you if you get impeded if your guy cuts you He's off holding him up yeah you take back you, you don't do the opposite and it just is. Um, it, it just opens up a can of worms because now it's like well, every time uh, we, we get a situation w- which is a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of a foul, and it doesn't come down, then everybody's going to throw their hands up. And, and this is the thing that, that why you know we've called for years now. We've been doing the show for three years. We've been calling for it almost since the start, since the beginning. A national group of of stewards. We don't need the states to do this. This should have been taken over by HISA, and we should have created one set of rules and one set of training and and have each steward's decision reviewed and, and uh, have these people graded. I mean, this is, you're talking uh, how much money do you think the difference between winning the Breeders, breeders Futurity uh, and, and getting beat in the Breeders Futurity means to the connections not 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 you know just not even counting the the you know the the millions of dollars bet but like a hundred winning that grade one and not winning a you know it's a grade one two-year-old race stallion making race yep anyways um well since we're talking about two-year-olds what about cave rock (laughs) what else can you say but but wow Ridiculous. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to hear who, who Barry's going to try to beat him with. Nope. Not <laughs> nope. <laughs> he's, he's the real deal. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I respect you for trying to take a shot against Golden Pound. I think maybe you'll end up being right, but it's just, you know, I, I, the more I think about it, the more I think this might be a kind of a chalky Breeders' Cup. But yeah, Cave Rock. In general, I try to spread in the juvenile races just because obviously they're two-year-olds and they they can have up and down form and horses can jump forward. But uh, just visually, forget even the figures. Just visually, who has looked like that horse this year? Nobody. And it looked like he picked up speed. He went faster halfway through the stretch, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I you don't want anybody coming out of the champagne. <laughs> nah. The Breeders Futurity, I mean, the top couple look like they're pretty good. Um, yeah. Out in the West Coast, I mean, all the, the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh best horse are all Baffert's horses. Yeah. So I'm not even sure how many of them are going to make the trip. Um, I'm sure a couple of them will. I'm pretty uh, sure but, uh, he's going to go back to sprinting. But, uh, like, who who out there? <laughs> you know, who, who's... Who's gonna say? Yeah, yeah, I really think this horse is gonna beat him. I mean, I, I mean, we don't even know what what's gonna happen. I mean, we have still got a month to go, and things happen. But um, 
at this point, he looks like he's going to be tough. Not to mention Keeneland, uh, the last time they had a Breeders' Cup. Um, how, how, how should we, we call the the track surface um, those couple of days? <laughs> Pool table-like? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, it probably won't be real deep. That's glib? What, yeah, glib. Yeah, Ellis Star told me that it was just a... Just because the good horses were running there, that that's why six track records were set over two days. I said, Ellis, don't they run a pretty good meet there every spring and fall? <laughs> don't good horses generally run at that place? But, uh, but anyway. to, to me, the two-year-old Philly division, like the in terms of the batting the Breeders' Cup, looks much more interesting to me. I think because I don't think that there's like a a total standout in, in that realm because you know shout out to my my former co-host john green and dj stable for wonder wheels win in the alcibiades oh yeah that was, yeah, was exciting and and good to see for them and you know in the present we had chocolate gelato who was okay but you know didn't knock your socks off so i think that that's the race on the you know future stars friday that that has the the biggest potential for an upset and for some big balloons in the try or the super I think Wonder Wheel would have probably won by two or three lengths, except for one factor. What's that? The, the Chuck bet on her factor. <laughs> <laughs> that, that last days when she was struggling, that, that was that was that was the wait for me, <laughs> me and Mark Cassie haven't haven't hooked up for a, a winning bet in a long time. So <laughs> you got to give her a couple extra points for that. But no, well, she, are you going to bet her in the Breeders' Cup? You got to let me know now ahead of time. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I liked her in this race because I thought she was short in the um, uh, in the, uh, the spin away. Uh, and I got to give credit Tom Law and, and Joe Clancy both separately talked to, to, to Cassie prior to the race. Not, not, you know, the day before, but a couple days before. And they said, we've never seen him this confident about any horse. Like he believes in this horse as much as he believes in any horse he's got. The guy's got like three hundred horses. Um, Interesting. And I, I I put that in my you know I, I stored that in my mind. And when I saw her in the spinaway and she made that move like she was gonna go by at the eighth pole and then she just kind of hung and then she didn't gallop out too much and she hadn't run in a couple months. He had her up there all, all you know she was training all summer but but you know he didn't decide to run her to the closing weekend and. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to bet her back when he runs her back because I think she was a little bit short going this race. And, and I, I think that, you know, now she's, quote, unquote, not undefeated. And, and maybe, uh, you know, some of the, the luster off, man, you know, but um, but Gaffleon did the right thing by sending to the lead uh, and not getting in behind. And, and he really won the race in the first turn because he didn't let the horses i mean everybody left in that race it was six horses there were like six wide in the first turn um but he didn't let anyone come over on him and you know he, he did go a little you know quick early but he was able to you know rate the fractions uh reasonably and you know she, she's a nice horse but um but I, I don't know about you know next race and i, I think i think that gate's gonna be full to be honest with yeah you. it should be right yeah so i mean she might draw post 13 which at yeah. Keeneland is, is a problem. It's a real problem. And, and, you know, you have the short stretch to deal with as well. Yeah, I mean, that's why I don't like, in general, I don't like closers in those mile and a 16th races. Like, it's so, talking about a race where it's hard to get up from the back of the pack. It's just, you can count on one hand, one hand the last 
five years how many deep closers I've seen when going a mile on a 16th. Like, you really need a total pace meltdown for that. Yeah, it's almost impossible. You know, Brad Cox's Phillies probably was the best in that race. The Philly uh, that had been coming out of the – she came out of the turf races. Um, um, what was her name? Um, <laughs> I can't think of her name. But, um, I mean, another two jumps and, and she, uh, you know, she wins. Chop-chop. Uh, chop-chop. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And she's a horse that did come from way behind. Um, you know, she, she had, she was drawn right next to Wonder Wheel, but she came out of the gate slow, uh, and, and was 11th down the backside and to make the run that she made, uh, that, that was, that was really impressive. And believe me, at the eighth pole, I was thinking, oh man, <laughs> this horse Dead. run me down. <laughs> but, yeah. I was surprised that she held on. Honestly, at the 16th pole, I thought she was in deep water. I was surprised you hold on. The third horse I think is okay too. The Phil Bauer horse, Shigera, like, yeah, I thought she was crazy impressive when she ran. She won that turf race at Saratoga. And yeah, similar to Chop Chop, like just to switch from turf to dirt and be that competitive, I think is got to be a good sign. She's by Nyquist, so it's not like she's got this crazy turf pedigree that she has to overcome. So I think she's interesting, too. I, I wonder if, if I don't know. I mean, call me crazy, but uh, I, I think she would have just mine if, if she had run it. Man. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was a race where I was kind of like, if I had hair, I'd pull it out of because <laughs> it just was a race that looked like there was three or four speed horses or horses that were going to show speed and that pace. And they wound up letting Delight just walk on the lead. Delight hasn't even been in front in her races. Those races drive me crazy, Chuck, like where, you know, you think you think you at least got a speed duel or if you or you. You know, if not reasonable pace or if not that you're like, well, here's who will be on the lead if the speed duel doesn't materialize. And then when neither of those things happens, oh, my God, it it makes you crazy. The the horse of Joe Sharps, Dulcia, she res one lifetime start. She went 21 and four to the quarter. She went 45 and changed to the half in a turf sprint on the lead. And now there's a race that go 49th and a half, and she's sitting seventh. <laughs> like, Fun stuff. If that was the instructions, then so be it. And, and those are idiotic instructions. And and people have these stupid theories about about stretching out on the turf. Believe me, I, I wasn't America's best trainer, but there was one thing that I was good at, and that was stretching horses out to two turns. And the reason. I won a lot of those races with horses that weren't that good was we committed to the lead. And once you get to the front, you dictate the race. It's a far easier for a horse that really has distant limitations to, uh, to, to make a two turn race, to make, uh, to be able to win at, at a longer distance than they generally would be able to on the lead. It's like bold Forbes in the Belmont. Never wins coming off the pace, but when you're on the front and you can steal a quarter or two, and and it's it's just like people will see horses stopping going six furlongs, and and they would I would put them in going a mile and an eighth or a mile and sixteenth. That's like, why. The what weird are you crazy? Thing. The horse can't go six. I say, yeah, he can't go twenty two forty five. Right. But if he goes twenty four forty eight, it's a completely different, different ball game. Yeah. Setup. And 
like for integrated races with all these horses to see them just let a horse waltz on the lead um a horse that doesn't even it's not like they said oh well you know she's a big um Oh, she had won three in a row, like Golden Pal, right? You might say, oh, geez, we're not going to try to run with him because he's going to rise under the ground. This filly hadn't even been on the lead. So it wasn't like they were all afraid to get in a duel with her or something. And, uh, I mean, the, the, ironically, Thomas said in the post-race interview, he told Saya, he, he gave him bad instructions, and Saya didn't listen to him. He told, <laughs> him, he could, he told him to get in, you know, get covered up. Everyone says get covered up. Let me just explain this to you if you're a trainer or you're an owner. Stop looking at Chad Brown. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. His horses are better than yours every freaking time. Okay? Yep. Unless, you know, Sheikh Mohammed or Charlie Appleby's listening, and I don't think that they are. <laughs> he has better horses. He can do whatever he wants with them because they're better horses. Stop. Stop, 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 stop. Every horse doesn't have to be covered up. I mean, David Aragona has said something like that in the past about like how uncompetitively these turf races are in New York, yeah, and that no people try to emulate Chad Brown. It's like, yeah, he's got all these French horses who are used to being strangled and getting the brakes stomped on their whole careers. That's not your stock, you know. That's not <laughs> the same thing as your thirty-five thousand New York bred claimer that now you want to wrangle back to eighth because you saw Chad Brown do it. He has better horses than you. Obviously, he's a good trainer, but it's not that. <laughs> that isn't it. He's not winning because he, he, of those tactics. Well, the tactics. I mean, it just, probably just has cost him a lot of dirt talk about at the top level over the years by taking the speed out of horses. I, I, I'll tell you a story, and I won't. I won't embarrass the trainer and say his name. <laughs> when I was doing the feed company, a guy asked me about a certain brand of feed, and I said, "Well, I cannot get it because they have an exclusive deal with another feed company. However, I can get." Well, no, no, that's the feed that Chad Brown feeds. And I said to him, I, dead, dead straight, I said to him, listen, buddy, Chad Brown could feed his horses Domino's. <laughs> okay? They could get McDonald's, and they're going to win a lot. They're not because of the brand feed he has. Said, and your horses aren't going to run better because it's the same stuff. I go, don't you, I'll, I'll say it, I don't care. I don't, I'm not in that business anymore. But the feed companies steal each other's formulas. They do. Right. All they have to do is buy. It's all the same stuff for the most part. It's 95% the same stuff. Whether it's it's Hallways or, or uh, Perino or this guy or that guy. It's all basically the same. <laughs> you know? And But it was just odd, odd to me that a trainer that was, you know, not, not unsuccessful um, would be that brainwashed into thinking that the guy's horses um, are, are doing as well as they do because of the brand of feed. It, it has nothing to do with that. So the fact is he's starting out with really good horses. Of course he's a really good trainer. He knows what he's doing and he has the ability to pick his spots. Well, it's a similar thing with Baffert and the Derby. You know, he just, he keeps getting more and more top two-year-olds and three-year-olds because everyone sees like, oh, wow, Baffert has won the Derby seven times. And it's like, yeah, he knows how to get a horse to the Derby, but he's also getting his pick of the litter. He's like Nick Saban. You know, he gets the top recruits in every single class. So, yeah, obviously Nick Saban's a great coach, but it helps that he's got the best players in 99% of the games that he, you know, they go out and play. You know, it's funny, Joey, is one of the ironies of, of what we just said is that, interestingly enough, no one does what Baffert does. Right, they don't train like him. They don't train hard, and they don't race hard. And yeah. it's baffling to me 
why everybody wants to, to bring fresh horses into the Derby because it never works. Baffert never brings a fresh horse into the Derby. Never. His horses have all raced and trained hard. And yes, California has always had, you know, they've always worked their horses faster, at least in my lifetime. Um, you know, it's so funny that if, if you ever can get a, a um, I can't remember where I saw it, but um, they had a recording of, of a bunch of Secretariat's works. And it might be old, it might have been old racing forms um, that I had seen where uh, he, he had works like three quarters, 109, <laughs> five eighths and 57. Like, like it just was like, <laughs> like races. <laughs> It was like insane how fast they used to work horses, but, but, but no one does that. They, they all, they all treat the Derby as uh, a normal race. And it's totally like of all the races that we run in this country, it's the one race you can't treat like that yet. Every year you see guys do it. And then it's, um, I mean, you know, Baffert kind of ran a, a fresh horse. I mean, it wasn't Baffert. It was, you know, yeah, team trainer X, but, uh, you know, Taiba, who's a superior horse, who's a who's a immensely talented horse. And he finished up what he finished twelfth? Because you can't do it. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't come in there with two races and, and not have, you know, been ground up a little bit and, and toughened up and but but your point is is great though. I mean he gets nothing but those type of horses. And yes, he has the luxury of being able to train that way because if horses fall off he's got three to replace them right that's the thing is like it doesn't matter no one remembers (laughs) all the five hundred thousand dollar horses he got that didn't turn out to be stars because he has enough that do turn out to be stars yeah it doesn't it yeah those horses are footnotes what everyone remembers so yeah he has that luxury that just yeah give me that horse give me that horse give me that horse you know 40 percent of them turn out to be good or to great like everything's good on on my end you know yeah i hear you and and you know the funny thing is i I put something up on twitter about uh, california and baffert running one two three four in that race and it's not even just he ran one two three four it's that the rest of the horses weren't even really competitive and last year's races in southern california the derby preps were mostly short fields and they were blowouts for the most part the Santa Anita Derby the Bob and Beverly Lewis uh, uh, the horse who disappeared what was his name Messier Messier he, yeah. he won one race by 13 yep. uh, the oh, that's Derby, the worst Kentucky Derby prep ever right it, it, it literally is the worst prep ever I don't think another I don't think any horses have even won out of that race half of them haven't even came back they're like it, <laughs> they're all they got beat 20 lengths and they never ran again they never worked nothing ever happened but they were very very small fields and relatively uncompetitive and you just say to yourself um, at what point does this just become an exercise in, in futility and and owners give up and and this is the thing that um, it's it's not. We all know it, but nobody's saying it, and and most people don't leave the game guns blazing, right? Most just leave. They just say, you know what? I had enough. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna buy horses this year. I'm not gonna get involved in partnerships this year. I'm not gonna do it this year. I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm fed up. A lot of the owners I had 
10, 15 years ago, guys that aren't like, you know, old or dead, they got out. And part of it was that, you know, they just kind of got tired of getting beat up by the big outfits, which has gotten nothing but worse. Um, and uh, it, it, it's a factor. And, and like when you look in Southern California and you say to yourself, like, do I really want to have if I if you have a choice, put it this way. I'm going to send my horse to a Kentucky trainer, a New York trainer, or a, a, a Southern California trainer. I mean, I don't see how anyone would want to run against a guy who's got three or four in every race. It just seems like it just seems like you're at a massive disadvantage. And at some point, uh, and I mean, California already struggles, and I'm sure I'll hear all the people say, oh, you're biased against California, but that's not true. I would like to help california help me help you right i I don't (laughs) want to see it go i want to see it be better i want to see it be be like it was but you can't just say oh there's nothing we can do of course there's something you can do but you know there has to be a will and there has to be people that that, you know stand up and do something but it's the fact it's reality and um you know i like you're saying they can't and and, and to be honest it has nothing to do with that it's not his fault What's he gonna do? Say, well, don't send me good horses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, send, I mean, like California can't afford any shorter fields either. Like, there's so many races that like won't go. I mean, this meet has been a little bit better so far. I was shocked to see him running ten races today on a Monday, but overall, like, it's just there, especially during the spring and the summer, or like late spring. It was it was bad. A lot of those cards, you know, they're running three days a week, and they still can't get more than five, six horses. A race, and especially in the stakes races, and that's just, you know, that's that's kind of like been a snowball going downhill problem for California for a while now. And like you said, I don't know that there's necessarily an easy solution. I it's 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 a bad scene, I think, for for now, and it sucks because, like you said, I'm I'm a fan of California racing. I love Santa Anita, love Del Mar, and I would love to see those. I mean, Del Mar was good. Del Mar this this meet had Del Mar was good. A lot of big fields, so I think Delmar is a little bit of an outlier right now. But but Santa Anita especially has just, you know, the product has just fallen off. It, it's it's just an undeniable fact. Well, you know, like talking about the Derby Trail horses, who's the last time? When's the last time you saw a, a horse, a non-California horse, shipped to California to run a, a Derby prep race? It's been a long time. And and people ship horses all over the place nowadays. We saw California guys shipped to Dubai. You know? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and and it's, I mean, Hot Rod Charlie, he prepped in the, the Louisiana Derby. Um, it, it just is. Uh... It was so funny, like to see horses win the UAE Derby, like that I didn't hadn't really heard of, but they were American horses, and I'm like, no way that horse is going to come over. That's a Dubai. Then someone tells me, no, that horse stable in California. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess yeah. he is coming. Yeah, and like you said, there's no easy answers, but there's answers. It just sometimes well, it's, it's, it's like what we were talking about before, where somebody, uh, some sort of leadership, has to kind of step up and take charge and 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 try something different because what's going on now isn't working clearly. But you know, keep going on that same path, and there's not going to be much left. No, the races become exhibitions, not not um, not competitions. No. Yeah, that's that's horrible. I mean, 
Nobody wants that. You can't bet on an ex- exhibition. Well, and, and the thing is, too, sorry, I, it's just, I think the, the bigger problem that, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about is that there's too many stakes. There's too too, many. Many, too many graded stakes races, too many stakes races. It's just we're running the same, basically the same calendar that we were running 25 years ago when the fall crop was twice what it is now. So it's no surprise that you get a bunch of five and six horse fields and all these graded stakes and even grade ones like, you know, the Belmont card this year, I think about. And it was, you know, in terms of star power, it was as good as it gets. It, it was primo top class horses up and down the card, but it was simply unbettable. It was an unbettable card with five and six horse fields, fields all around. I think only the Jiper had like a big field. Other than that, it was five and six horse fields. And it, there's just too many options for trainers. You know, there's fewer horses and we still have the same schedule. And I, that is a tough thing to, to address because, you know, nobody wants to be the first in the pool and be like, okay, well, I'll cut this from my grade stake schedule, my skate stake schedule. Everybody likes to put those press releases out and say, you know, our stake schedule is bigger than ever and more money than ever this year. And I'm like, I read those releases and I'm like, is that good? Like, is that good? Like, it might sound good, but is that really what we want in terms of a betting product and in terms of competition, like you guys are saying? And I, you know, that's the tough thing to get people to, to show leadership on because somebody's going to have to take the hit in terms of the purse accounts or, or you know, in terms of the, the PR for, you know, it looks like your track is shrinking or the racing in your state is shrinking. But I just, you know, that's the kind of thing that I need, think needs a coordinated effort from people in the sport to just realize this very obvious problem we have and to get together and to do something about it and like across the board maybe let's do like a 20 percent cut in stakes races you know and just put that money into the overnight account like it's not as if i'm saying you have to run you know 50 percent of the races you run but it's just these stakes races are unbettable because you can just duck and pick and choose and for in an era where horses run even less frequently than they've ever run before this already a problem and Mm -hmm. It's just there's this this glaringly obvious issue of too many options for trainers, and I just don't see anybody making any kind of real effort to it, even address it, to even acknowledge it. And I don't, I don't know how we fix that. I haven't seen anybody acknowledge it at all. No. Other other than you know podcast on this Us. podcast. That's it. Us basically. Yeah. Uh, Maybe a few Joe, other. What Joe just said is very very true though too. Yeah, absolutely. The, the 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 way horses are uh, campaigned it naturally should lead to a reduction in stakes because you know horses are making five starts this year that's their whole year and breeders cup is one of them and we're talking about the upper echelon horses obviously well if you have stakes every single month for those horses and some months two some months three well, that's leaving an awful lot of of of, of races that just <laughs> physically can't be uh, properly represented. Uh, we we complained about the Vosburgh last year <laughs> because it was a four horse field, and one of the horses was some hopeless horse that ran that came from England that was like taking a shot in the dark. Yeah, and following C won the race, and and yeah, he's a really good horse. And matter of fact, the horse that won the Vosburgh this year looks like he he's very nice on, on the edge. Right. Being like a star horse, and that's not the point, though. The point is, everyone else wasn't. Um, you know, you, you can't. It's Wait, like I was at the I was I was right? at the track on, on Saturday, and you know, I was like, "Wow, a nice little four horse field at Aqueduct." And I look up, and I'm like, 
oh, this is the Vosberg. Whoops. Like, this is, I mean, this is a God big for, race. Thank God for Norm Cash. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's no Norm Cash, I don't know if they – did I card it with three? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I just think, man, you got all these giant stables and, and, and Todd Pletcher didn't have, you know, some allowance horse he could have thrown in there. I know. Or, or you know, I, I don't know. It just – I mean, we've talked about this this summer a lot. And one of the plans I came up with, I wrote, wrote about a 27-page dissertation on it, <laughs> basically taking the three-year-old uh, Philly Sprinters and uh, talking about the three-year-olds and gen- three-year-old Phillies in general because it's an easy class to to mess with because there just aren't that many graded stakes for three-year-old Philly Sprinters. Um, I, I mean, for that matter, Philly Sprinters, period. But, um, you know, creating a, uh, a schedule for them. And this has to be done by the TOBA and in conjunction with the Breeders' Cup because no track's going to willingly give up a stake. They just don't. Yep. They're not going to do it. But the tracks don't own the grades. Tracks own the stakes. They don't own the grades. The grades are owned by the toll, but they assign them. Um, and the, and I've talked to a couple people on the Greatest Stakes Committee about this. And if they, of course, it's always off the record because I, I, you know, I get it. It's just, you know, racing is super secretive. But um, <laughs> for, for what reason, I have no idea. I mean, you, you'd think that we were hiding like nuclear secrets in these meetings. <laughs> we aren't. <laughs> You know, like we can all look at the races and, and think, you know, how do the what was the race earlier in the year? The in California, and I'm not picking on California, but there was a race, the 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 American Oaks, it was taken off the turf, and it retained its Grade One status, and it absolutely looked like a, a listed stake on the dirt. I mean, it was just like, like I, I don't know what would have to happen for that to have been downgraded, other than the entire field scratched, but um. <laughs> You know, and they've admitted that there there are some people that want to make changes, but the old guard is tough to change. Uh, well, especially because remember- it it just it doesn't just affect the racing side of it. You know, the breeders and the sales companies like they they are they do not want to willingly have fewer black type horses going through the ring at these sales. So I, I you know that's that's like an entrenched interest too that I think has a reason to be against reducing the stakes in the graded stakes schedule so when you're talking about doing that you're not just going against the racing powers that be you're going against the entrenched breeders and the sales companies who don't want who do not want less black type out there and you no, know absolutely you're, i yeah. thought that was that was the issue <laughs> but that is you know that, let's let's face it, that's the issue but the fact of the matter in the, the breeders listen the breeders are are isn't is short-sighted as anyone in this business because they complain about Lasix. They complain about this. They complain about that. Yet, they'll, te- they'll send a, a foal to get his legs manipulated and, 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 and you know surgically and then sell it as new. Um, they'll also, you know, jump off the bandwagon of stallions that don't have incredible results the first two, two years. And then, uh, you know, they're always looking for the, the new horse. Any any horse that retires uh, with three starts, they jump on their bandwagon too, and then they complain all oh, the breeds just not as strong as they used to be. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but the game needs to to shore up the foundation, and, and this is the thing that I, I try to when I talk to people in racing, and I, I listen. I can't tell you what I 
talk who I talk to them because it's been, uh, a they won't stop talking to me, and b <laughs> you know the, the the conversations are private. I mean, if, if I mean I'm not, we're not real journalists, Joey. You might be, but like you know maybe we we just do this because we do this. But our heart's in the right place, and that's the thing is that that they just don't seem to understand that you can't just have six tracks operating. I know that's this dream nirvana for some people, but it, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Where are the people going to come from? Racing is a sport that you need to be at live to get hooked on. It's very, very difficult to get hooked on racing from a television or from a simulcast center, which we don't even have many of those anymore because it's a social game. And people learn because it is complicated. But people learn from other people. It's a hard game to learn on your own. And the being there at the track, being at a Saratoga or at a Keeneland or a Churchill Downs during Derby Week or, or Gulfstream on a big day in the winter um, or, or any of the tracks on their big days when, when there's still people there and that, that energy. Like when you eliminate all those other tracks, and I don't really want to get into the political ramifications. I mean, racing is in a, a you know a little bit of a precarious spot with animal rights people, and not not nearly as bad as I think as people want to make it out to be because we produce tremendous amounts of revenue still. Um, but the less places that have racing, the smaller we get, the less political power we'll have, and that matters. I mean, people wouldn't even know this, but um, like Louisiana. The horsemen are super strong in, in Louisiana. And, you know, even going to Washington, they're going to get the, the horsemen of Louisiana have, have a direct line to the, the representatives in Washington. And they're, they're you know, they have power. And, that, you know, that, that's votes. That, that means, you know, that's something that a lot of states don't have. And if you, you take out a state like Louisiana that doesn't have top class racing outside of the fairgrounds. Um, because, uh, you know, you, you just, people are just very, you know, glib about, ah, well, you know, we don't care. That's Delta. We don't really pay much attention to that. You know, who cares if they go away? Well, it matters if they go away because you know what? That, that, that's a a lot of people are employed. A lot of the jockeys come here. A lot of the trainers come from there. And if Al Stahl and and Tom Amos, uh, just two perfect examples, if there's no racing in Louisiana, those guys never get into horse racing. They, they go into something else. Um, all the jockeys, same thing. Uh, Todd Fletcher's from Texas. His father raced in the Bush Leagues. Uh, there, there's so many examples of this um, that, you know, without live racing and, and without uh, the smaller tracks, you know, it'd be great to just have big racing, but you know, we, we see racing in overseas, and we see Ascot, and we see the uh, the Arc de Triomphe cars. They have racing every day over there. In England, there's, there's a track running every day. England's a small country; they run a ton, and they run crappy purses. But and, and and listen, they have some of the same problems we have over here. But it, it's just you know, the, there's the thought process of a lot of people in this business is like we need to shrink this business. And I just don't know any business that ever shrunk themselves to success. I, I just, uh, it, it, I'm diametrically opposed to that. And I just think that we need to, you know, 
rebuild the foundation. The foundation is difficult to rebuild when we see these terrible stage races. Uh, and that's supposed to be the representative of our best horses. You know, I mean, put it this way. How, how strong can the sales game and the breeding game stay if there's if there's a, a third of the race is run? I mean, you know, at some point. Right. It's, it's going to implode. We can't have 12 stallions. That's it. <laughs> Right, they'll they'll all, it'll it'll be like we they all were bred in Tennessee. I mean, my only pushback on the thing about consolidation is, I do think that there are tracks where, you know, it, there are there are the, the there's the examples of the worst of what PETA and all those people wail about. Like I think in general, those people, the animal rights activists, they exaggerate. They spin things. You know, they have a lot of propaganda, and I think the vast majority of racing is not the way they say. But I think there are smaller tracks where horses get dumped and break down at higher rates. And you know, I was reading a story today in the TDN from Dan Ross about how uh, at Mountaineer they've had a vet shortage, and there was he quoted an unnamed source in the story that there was a horse who broke down in the morning there and. The nearest vet was a half hour away. Like there wasn't even a vet on the track to treat the horse. They had to call and then wait for someone to come through. And I just, there are tracks like that where, you know, what, what is it delivering to the, to the betting public, you know, to racing's image. I just, you know, I, I think there's too much bad racing and I know what you're saying that it can't all be Churchill Downs on Derby Day. It can't all be Keeneland and Saratoga. There needs to be some places where lower level horses run. But I just think that that's so much stuff is kind of brushed under the rug at some of those smaller tracks. Like, you know, when Turf Paradise let Marcus Vitale back in, it was just such a bad look for racing, even if Turf Paradise itself isn't that big of a deal. I think it's easier for some of those tracks to get away with stuff that they should not be getting away with and to not put the horse's safety first, which I think is kind of the thrust now and kind of the, the movement in racing, which I think has been a real positive thing. And, you know, it makes me more proud to be a racing fan and a racing advocate that I think people are putting the horse's safety first, but I still think there are too many tracks that don't do that, mostly smaller tracks. And I think that there are too many tracks that are held up with the crutch of alternate gaming revenue. And I, you know, I understand it in certain instances, but I don't know that it's a great economic argument to make that here's why we need this subsidy, this eternal subsidy to survive. And I think that it's, it, it opens a counter argument for people to be like, who aren't necessarily anti-racing, but are kind of ambivalent about the issue to be like, well, why can't you run a successful business or at least close to a successful business? Why do you need this eternal buoy of this slot revenue? And I, that's the only pushback I would have on the, the consolidation argument is that I think there are too many tracks that are just kind of treading water because they have the slots and they don't, they, they, they aren't really looking out for what's best for the horses or for the betters. And I don't know that we need to go to six tracks, but I think we don't need 50 either. See, the problem is with your argument is that, uh, and, and you're not wrong in a lot of ways. I was at Penn national and that same scenario happened. On a Sunday morning, horse broke down. No, no vets there. Yeah, and you know the excuse was was nighttime racing. Um, 
But part of the issue is that there's no oversight. And yeah. That isn't necessarily a racing issue. And what are the biggest misconceptions that's out there? That's always been out there. And it's amazing that so many smart people are involved in racing and nobody ever says, well, that's not true. <laughs> racing doesn't police itself. Never has police itself. It's ridiculous to think it's police. <laughs> we're, we're, we're governed by, by state racing commissions. Those are government bodies. Uh, in some states like Kentucky, there's a, a, a huge racing influence on the, the, the Kentucky Racing Commission. In other states, there's there's none. There's virtually none. Um, it's, it's complete political appointees. And those are the, the people who are really responsible for that. Is it racing's problem that we haven't uh, more or less got on their cases or, or you know, made it uh, a, a made it an issue saying, hey, how come uh, this Arizona Racing Commission is not pro- providing a veterinarian? How come the Arizona, state of Arizona isn't providing ample funding to have proper um, uh, oversight? And you're right. In a lot of states, that doesn't happen. Um, but that is something that, that that's a solvable problem. And the slots argument, I, I just don't... Where, where does racing stop? Like, where, where does racing end? Meaning, if you were at Parks when Parks was a, just a rate when it was Philadelphia Park, before it was Parks, or before that Keystone, and the only game in town was horse racing, you and the track were partners. They made money because you were there. You made money because they were there. Now, we want to call the purse money a subsidy. But our partners, the racetrack, they're allowed to make as much money as they make. And they make far, 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 far more money than goes to the purse account. And it's okay. And see, that's my problem in that why should Greenwood Racing be gifted a slot license over every other uh, eligible business in the state of Pennsylvania well because of horse racing yeah. that's why they have the slot racing they are part of of racing they're part of racing it's not just the horsemen it's not just the purses everyone just sees the purses and they see it but you, you, we don't get access to Greenwood's um, documents but I, I believe that, that, they, that, that the purses uh um, I think they get like like thirteen percent of the revenue. Thirteen percent. So after taxes, that means Greenwood's probably taking home about forty percent. So look at the purses and look how much they are, and then think about how much money they're making. And, I mean, I, I, I you know, what is racing like? What you know, racing should include the tracks. Why should the tracks? Get scot free every time the politicians come for the money. They come for the horsemen side. How come they never come from the money. from the from the from the races? You know the the racetrack side. Well, number one, they got better lobbyists than us. But that is something that's that's bothered me because you know in almost every state they would have gotten the 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 things without racing. So to just say that racing can be tossed aside and it's just a subsidy. It's just the it, it's our share of the profits. That's what it really is, and that's how it should be looked at. But you know, in this business, we constantly look down on ourselves 
and we never say, hey, 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 hold on, you're going to a subsidy. I call it our share of the profits that that this business, our partners, was gifted by the state. So how can you say we're the problem, not them? I mean, I totally hear what you're saying, and I think it's it's true that there are a lot of casinos that would not exist if it weren't uh, for the racetrack. And I do think also that it's kind of an unfair argument to make that the casinos are more profitable than the racetrack because obviously the racetrack has a ton of more overhead than the casinos. It's much cheaper just to put a, a you know a couple hundred unmanned slot machines in a poorly ventilated room and just wait for the people to filter in and start pulling the lever. The only thing I would say is that I think, you know, even if you're going to say it's correlation, correlation is not causation, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of the tracks that are kind of deteriorating and the product is terrible and the, the, the product is unbettable and there are, you know, abuses that you hear about on the backstretch with horses. I find that a lot of them do have that slot money and do have that casino attached to it. And I think that it, it doesn't provide an incentive for tracks to improve for tracks to improve in terms of horse safety, in terms of takeout, in terms of the betting product. You know, I think when a race, when a racetrack is its own entity entity, and like, I, I get your point that it's not racetracks aren't exactly on their own because they have racing commissions and they have gaming commissions that oversee them. But I think, you know, somewhere like Naira where they, they have to create a bettable product because that's their entire business. I think that, I've seen over time, those tracks are the ones that do better, the ones that, that have better business, that have better handle, that have more attendance, that have more interest. I, the tracks that I've seen that, you know, kind of make racing look bad, I think a lot of times are the ones with those those casino, I won't call them subsidies, but the, the, those, uh, those, hand, those agreements with the casinos. And I, I, I think it's, it's better of a racetrack, not entirely, because I, I agree with your point that a lot of these places would not have the casino if it weren't for the racetrack. But I think as much as possible, the racetrack should be able to be its own business because then I think there's motivation and there's incentive to improve the product. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. it listen, it's, it, it's, it's a complicated argument and things are different in, in every space. I mean, certainly, um, you know, Naira has, has that. I mean, Naira is, is a bracing company. They don't have any other companies, basically. I mean, they've kind of branched out with Naira Bets to be able to do stuff, which is which is actually fair. Yep. Um, but let's also remember that Naira wouldn't be... If, if you took the slot money away from Naira, how bad would the product be there? <laughs> because if you take the slot money away, you took away all those trainers... They win the majority of it. They're going to keep small divisions there. Now, Naira still got great stake races. They still got great facilities, but their money is 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 good because of Aqueduct, uh, because of the slots, and that's something that we shouldn't forget there too. Yes, yeah, I, I hear you. But like, look at parks. Sometimes, hey, Kentucky. You go back six years ago. Kentucky was starting to struggle, and then until they got HHR. Yeah, slot machines. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> funky slot machines, but slot machines nonetheless. And all of a sudden, everything. Look, look at Oaklawn. Oaklawn has used the profits um, to invest in the racing, and and they've done great. Yep. And this is Arkansas. Like we're in we're in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We're, we're not in Los <laughs> Angeles or Chicago or, or New York. 
So it can be done. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think some of the, the problems with these tracks, one of the problems is the, the, there was never um, a light shed on it. And sometimes that will will help. Uh, the fact that we don't have much horse racing media hurts our business because most of the media is either uh, works for um, a, a, an industry organization or they're, you know, semi-stifled in that there's, you know, the industry is a very small one. Advertisers are, are often the same people that you might be criticizing. So, you know, I, I understand that that's how life works, but um, the lack of independent media has hurt us as well. Yeah. And that that's something that, um, that we as an industry haven't really been able to, I think a lot of people like that. I think a lot of people in, in positions of power and racing like the fact that there isn't much independent media to, to yeah to, to put pressure on them to do the right things. <laughs> you know, and and I think I mean I, it's one of those problems that like how do you solve that problem? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we could we could create a, a our, our own uh, website and you know do stuff. We get sponsors and and become an independent media, but. You know, can can we make enough money to make it, it, it worthwhile to, to, to do? You know, is there anybody out there that would, would be willing to put up that kind of funds? The problem is most of the people with the funds are also the people that would prefer that, that we didn't have so much independent media being asking these pesky questions. Say that again. Yeah, so... Uh... I know it's you know it, it, the, you know the thing about it is is and I say this to Barry all the time, and, and I think this is a, a misconception that a lot of people out there on Twitter land and and, and you know at, at the track don't get to is that we love the game. Yeah, we we love the game. We we're involved in the game because we love it, and it's it's part of of you know who we are and, and kind of how we grew up and and, and we've been part of it. And we often forget that a lot of the decision makers are not, they're not, they're people that are doing a job and there's a, there's a disconnect sometimes with someone's personal goals and a company's personal goals. Churchill Downs, the prime example of Churchill Downs does what's good for Churchill Downs as a publicly traded corporation. Everybody kind of accepts it. No one's happy about it, but we accept it. And there are things that they do that do benefit racing. And there are things they do that do not benefit racing. And they don't do anything because they like it or they don't like it. They do it because they're going to make more money. I mean, it's, um, it, it, it just, it is just is what it is. And uh, I think that's part of the problem that, that we sometimes have in that we say to to ourselves hey this could be so much better if they just did this this and this it wouldn't even cost them money um and the people at the track say well you know well what if it doesn't work you know then and then i might go over budget and then you know it's gonna affect my bonus or it's gonna uh, i might get fired and and that's why the people at the top have to be the ones that make the changes but it's hard. It's hard to even like get on those people's radar. Well, I mean, that's why it's like it, it, we're not well served. I think by having, you know, a, a lot of older people 
in positions of power and racing a lot of the old guard where you don't have and you know, it's changing i think gradually over time but you don't have a ton of young people or, or people of color or people or women or people who have you know different experiences growing up around the business than just you know your family was in racing or your family was a breeder or, you know worked or had a stallion farm or you know there's a lot of that that those legacy people in racing and i'm not saying that they're all you know nefarious or whatever there's a ton of people have this game in their blood that are trying to do the right thing and you know i you know we we talk about these issues on on shows like this because like you said we're we're fans of the game and we love it we want to see it improve and i think people sometimes construe that as you know we're harping on the negative and it's it, it really is just these structural things that you know you feel like you have to talk about more so than you normally would because no one else is talking about it no one else is asking questions about it so maybe you focus on it a little disproportionately but I think there's a lot of inertia in racing and less so over time where, you know, this is just, this is the way we've done it. This is the way it's worked out for us and our community and the people we know over the last hundred plus years. So there's not, there's not a real, we don't want any real disruption in the way racing has done business for a long time. And, you know, there are some cracks that are starting to, to, you know, ha- happen in that in, in in that foundation, but it's a really hard thing to overcome. With, yeah, I mean, I always say I say it to Chuck all the time. I was like, one of the biggest downfalls of the sport is the mentality of you know this is the way we've always done it. Yes, and it's starting to catch up and really quickly um, because you know it, it's it's kind of almost at the situation or at the at the point where you got to say adapt or die, you know, you got to make changes in order to, to, to keep moving in the right direction. And like you alluded to earlier, who's going to be that first person to, to stick their neck out there and, and do something worthwhile that will push things forward. And that's why I think about HISA, you know, whatever you feel about the HISA regulations or specifically how it's being implemented, like some people in this industry like to act like HISA is this burden that just came out of nowhere. And now we have to deal with all the burdens of these regulations. HISA and and, you know, that kind of uniform approach came about because we had all these crises in racing that no one was able to get out in front of because we had no unification and we had no we had no real cooperation in racing to address these problems that became national stories and national crises where it's, 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 it's uncontrollable. And so I, I think people lose the forest for the trees a little bit when they complain about like the minutia of HISA and these new regulations where, okay, like this is not perfect. We need to work to make this system better, but there's a reason that this thing got passed there's a reason it's because there's been this drumbeat of negative stories about racing for a long time that no one either had the wherewithal or the willingness to take on you're not wrong you're not wrong about that at all but you know the problem i have with heisa is it feels like having the second pick in the draft and, and taking marvin bagley instead of oh <laughs> elton there's so, there's so many things that they could be doing but they're they're concentrating on nonsense, and I mean, yeah, I said it on the show with you the other day. Uh, part of it is because the people in charge are very credential people. They're very smart people. They're very good at that. Their their um their area of expertise, and none of that, none of them have any area of expertise of, of, in horse racing. 
and that is you know um that's something that that to me is obvious and obviously i'm going to see things that a lot of other people won't because i've been able to see the game from a, a lot of different prisms um but like i, I think the heist of the the idea of it is great it, it's in some ways the only way to, yeah. to make things happen but the problem is that I don't like the cheerleading for it. I don't like their own self-proclaimed cheerleading. Like you guys got a lot of issues on your hands, and and you you know we, we, everybody wants to you know. It, I mean, I think a lot of that is like they don't want to show any talk, weakness. We talked about it a lot, but but like instead of they're really and the lady she got thrust in there in, at the end of February, and it was pretty close to an impossible job, and and she's done. Um, uh, what do they call it? A, a yeoman's job. Yeoman's and, effort. And getting uh, things launched. But she's not a leader. She's an administrator. And they need a leader. Um, and, and that's what it really takes. But a leader also is going gonna, is gonna to have to have credibility. And that's the thing is that this lady's making a tremendous amount of money and she has great credentials in labor unions and sports. But other sports have zero to do with us because we're not really a sport. We're a gambling venture. We're a sport and, 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 you know, to the side of this, but you're close to the highlight. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we're we're not like baseball, you know, we're, we're, we're different. And um, I I think that's the thing is that, that we just never put forth. um, uh, We, we, no one ever says, let's get the best rules. Let's do this the best. Let's let's have this be the most. Um, the, the, let's do what makes the most sense. It's always the harshest or the strictest or this or that, and that's not always the best idea. I mean, if if the the, the town you lived in decided, oh, we're gonna have the strictest traffic laws in town, and uh, if if you went, you know, uh, eleven miles an hour over the speed limit, you got six months in jail. You know, nobody would think that's a good idea, right? Everybody would be like, well, that's what they did with jockey sticks. They same thing. They put the owner's money in jail. They keep it, which is even worse. So, I mean, listen, I, you, you're 100% right that industry needed a central sort of regulate, regulatory body. But I just hate to see all the congratu- self-congratulations on, on, you know, a job well done when there's issues like the the stewards that just somehow eluded them and i just can't fathom why you would take on uh you wouldn't take that on so anyways time lord anyways joey thank you for uh, for being with us man it was a pleasure and, and we'll definitely have you on uh on again and uh everyone check out his show uh, better things. Better things with, with Joey Bianca. Appreciate uh, you, Chuck. Appreciate it. you, Barry. Yeah. Well, you... Not the same time, but we were both on it. Always great to talk to you guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'll, I'll be back anytime. Anytime you invite me, I'll be back. You know, we, we, we're we probably going to do a big Breeders' Cup preview show. You know, All right. You might be a guy that might be interested in something like that. <laughs> Count me in, man. All right, cool. All right. Nice. Thanks, All right. All right. Well, Barry. It was, uh, well, we went over our time limit again. Yeah, but we had a guest, so. We had a guest, that's right, that's right. So the Time Lord will, will the official Time Lord, 
<clears throat> will give us a, a big a big time form US number. <laughs> or a small one. Or maybe yeah, we'll probably get like fifty two. But um but anyways, um Next week is going to be kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> it's an understatement. We're, we're, we're headed towards the dog days of October in racing. Well, at least Keeneland will be in full swing. Yeah, I think the, the what is the race called? The Sycamore. Yes. Wednesday looks like a, a good race. Uh, the horse that keeps breaking my heart, Mira's Mission, is in there. Oh, man. Um, that's another. We, we we've had some tough beats this year. Oof. Twice, brutal. Twice, twice. But uh, that's a good race. A big, a big field. One great thing, and this is like when we talk about. Like I said, I hate to beat up in California, but New York has some of these problems too. Um, when you see the Keeneland fields, it just makes it tougher to look at some of the other races. <laughs> Them five horse allowance races don't have much appeal when when you're looking at one of those twelve horse Keeneland races. It's like foreign. Um, I'm not used to anyway. seeing that. And the Knicks are still undefeated in the preseason. I just want to point that fact out. In case, sorry I mean, for the Mets fans. Um, Dolphins injured. The Dolphins are. The Red Cross has moved into <laughs> Miami Gardens. <laughs> you got a tent set up at Hard Rock State. Though the NFL did kind of a racing thing in that they completely wildly overreacted to the Tua issue, which is, of course, an issue, but and puts these spotters, these unknown spotters that, that, that didn't seem work to be these mysterious figures. Uh, and yesterday, after the first play of the game, when the Teddy Bridgewater, the backup quarterback, got got sacked or almost sacked in the end zone, <laughs> hit underneath his shoulder pads, um, and and it was a hard hit. I mean, I don't know, don't know that he actually saw it, even saw it coming. No, he got rocked. Did not hit his head. Um, no, nope. you know, maybe his head grazed the ground. Well, you know, when you fall down, you might graze the ground. You have a helmet on. But it wasn't like he slammed his head on the ground. He got up and was, you know, seemed to be fine. Uh, and uh, they just decided he couldn't play because some guy, uh, and he passed concussion protocol, said, no, he's fine. No issues. Um, but now he's in concussion protocol, even though he doesn't have a concussion. So it's kind of a racing overreact, you know, kind of like uh, uh, interesting that, that, that happened. But, you know, whatever. Apparently, there's been some bad calls. Uh, uh, people people keep texting me about uh, some bad calls in football. But tonight, yeah, yeah. But that's remember one thing about the difference between racing and football is they may make a bad call in football, but in horse racing they take your money. Right. You you don't you get <laughs> in horse racing get like, paid. <laughs> no matter who wins the game, they don't come back. You know, like like two minutes after the the final clock. Uh, hits zero. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I know the Broncos beat the Raiders, but no, 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 no. 
we're taking the Broncos down. They had a, too many men on the field, so we're giving the, the win to the Raiders. That's what right. Doing. And you lose your parlay. Yes, and there are there are always going to be bad calls made in sports, but in, in horse racing, we are actually determining who the winner is, as opposed to just making a bad call. And sometimes, yes, the bad call can more or less determine the game, but um, it still is. Uh, we're, and, and the fact is that they're trying a lot harder than we are. We're not even trying. We aren't even trying. <laughs> but uh, no, the NBA starts in a week. College football is in full blast. The NFL. Yeah, it's the best time of year, man. It's like it's, I, I was having like overload issues the last two days. There's like too much going on. Yeah, I mean, this past weekend, sports-wise, on television was phenomenal. Listen, if you lived in the West Coast, I mean, in the East Coast, the NFL game started yesterday at 9 a.m. You live in the West Coast, started at 6 a.m. for Six. Rodney Brown. <laughs> before he goes on his hike. Yeah, his hike to see uh, mountain lions and rattlesnakes. No thanks. Guys, he's... Uh... He's a health conscious man, but um, the mayor went to the Bills game. Yeah, I saw that. So he went to the Bills game, and he, he I went saw to a blowout game. too. Yeah, just a beatdown. So I'm sorry, Mister Rooney. Your team stinks. You're rebuilding. You can call it what you want, but your team is is dead. I can't remember. I can. I'll be honest. I never remember the Pittsburgh Steelers picking in the top ten of the NFL draft ever. No, but, I, I can't either. Uh, I read something this morning about um, a guy was making a case that they they had a big shot of being like one and seven, one and eight, and and at the end of the season they play uh, four teams that currently have winning records. So I mean, they could be looking at like a four win season now, man. That will never happen ever. No, I can't remember. I mean, usually they were around, you know, 500 was, was like the worst. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They were famously for, famous for not ever rebuilding, but they may have to rebuild. But um, we saw maybe the greatest basketball player in the history of basketball. Again? Yeah. He played, they played again. It's a French dude named Victor. He's seven five and he shoots threes. <laughs> He's like a guard. <laughs> it's like a guy you made in a video game, mm-hmm. like when you can create your own guy and you make him like super ninety nine everything. Yeah. <laughs> like he's if, if he stays healthy, that's a big if. Though usually people that tall don't stay healthy. I read about the guy two years ago when he was sixteen, then and. You know, you read about these guys, these mysterious guys from overseas, and a lot of them don't turn out. Yeah, Luca turned out. Dirk Nowitzki turned out. I mean, obviously, Rubio didn't. Greek Freak turned out, but nobody even knew Greek Freak. Who, nobody even knew who he was. But, um, you know, it was kind of like one of those, ah, yeah, he's a tall French guy. And he, my, my first thoughts always go to Frederick Weiss, the guy who <laughs> they got dunked on. Destroyed his poor career, that guy. And of course, the Knicks drafted the guy. Um, and he was so embarrassed, he never even came to the U.S. He stayed in Europe. But uh, and until I saw the video, I started sending you videos. I'm like, look at this guy. He's nasty. <laughs> He's seven foot four, 
and and he 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 looks like a guard. You know, Craig Dude, too, man. You, you know, Craig is gonna like like move in the guy's house if the if OKC winds up getting the, yeah, guy. the twin towers. Him and and Chet. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna be feeding them them two guys. He'll become the personal chef. Oh, by, and by the way, happy anniversary to him. And oh yeah, happy anniversary to the see, thirty years. I think that's a long time, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you make it sound so bad? <laughs> I told you my story the other day. <laughs> On Twitter, Perry said... Well, she just hasn't pulled out the machine somebody, yet. Somebody was saying something about marriage. Perry said, ah, no, marriage is great. I said, yeah, it's great. My ex-wife <laughs> chased me with a machete one time, but... <laughs> I found out I can run real fast when someone has a machete. I'm almost like Usain Bolt if you have a machete. Oh... <laughs> 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 But um, yeah. Well, congrats to them. Yeah, and uh, they're they're two really awesome people. Yes, absolutely. You know, the one thing about racing and 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 like social media, it has brought people from all these different places that um, you you might never have met, you might never have been aware of their existence. Yeah, and that, and they become your friends, and it's it's kind of a. Uh, it's kind of crazy. I mean, that that's the the positive thing about social media, and that you know you're, you're brought together by so many people, uh, or excuse me, but uh, you know, so many people brought together that would have it have been very very unlikely that they've ever would have even crossed paths. And you know, there's a lot of negative toward social media too. I mean, obviously, I mean, there's well, you got to take the good with the bad, right? No, but uh, I mean, look at us. Yeah, that's how we met. People think that we've we've been uh, we've been pals for twenty five years, but it's uh, well, it's like five. Yeah, yeah, something like that. That's what it feels like, anyway. But um, <laughs> no, it's true. It, it's, it's so so so. I get to chase you around with a machete <laughs> only if you're married, <laughs> and I'm marrying for money this time. <laughs> Speaking of, I still gotta. I'm, I'm dreading planning the uh, the bachelor party. Bachelor party for next year. I'm already oh, planning it. But yeah, I gotta plan it. I gotta. We gotta oh, I didn't it. know you were planning yeah. it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm in charge of that. Oh man, there's a lot of responsibility that I, I there is. I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't actually sign up for it, but I mean, well, make sure you got a couple of tasers. The, the mayor appointed this on me, you know. So. Yeah, but he went to the Bills game. He went to the the Falls. Uh, a friend of ours from Saratoga's family, uh, Richard Whitney, he went to Saratoga High, not Saratoga Catholic, so he's not totally cool, but he's all right. Um, <laughs> his family has a a tour um, business, and uh, the, they went through this whole giant tour uh, of Niagara Falls. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Nick told me that uh, it was freezing cold, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, but no incidents. No incidents. The mayor didn't do anything crazy. Last, no, last time he was uh, no, no jumping off roofs and no. He did breaking see, tables. He did see a member of the Bills Mafia jump on a table and, and crack it, smash it in two. In the <laughs> was it was it Garnet Barnsdale? 
<laughs> was not Garnett. Garnett, <laughs> Garnett was there, but uh, he, he was not. Uh, you know, not Braden Davis. But, you know, Garnett's. He's more of a you know. He's a mild Bills Mafia guy. He, yeah, he's he's not a he's not a fanatic. He doesn't look like a. He might break a table, but he might. He's like a guy who would smash someone else in the table as opposed to uh, doing it. Himself. <laughs> and another another guy we met on social media, and uh, I saw him at the at Saratoga at the Harness Track this year when he was uh, him and his son and. We're making our way back to uh, to Canada through after going to the Meadowlands. Oh, so he was there, but the barbecue was there. Yeah, yeah, the barbecue, Mister Barbecue. Uh, Bulldog Hanover got beat. Yes, that's what but, happens when you try to break the record instead of trying to win the race. And I, you know, I'm cool with it. I mean, listen, you get one shot to do that. And that yep, the track just hasn't been that fast. No, the not it usually is. They they still went one forty six, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it, it was like uh, the guy even said in the winter circle, the owner of the horse, um, who, who was in a sale last summer, by the way, mm, Alley Wag with a light scratch, but uh, he said, yeah, I, I feel like uh, Mary Lou Whitney fell when when. Uh, when uh, Birdstone beat uh, Smarty Jones, <laughs> so nobody, the only people happy were in the winter circle are us. But uh, that's, you know, what happens. And he's still coming back. He's going to run in the Breeders' Crown. So I'm sure that I'll be there for that. Oh, no, I won't be at the Breeders' Crown. I'll be at the TVG. Breeders' Crown's in uh, Toronto. The free-for-all. Yeah, the TVG, which I think will be his last race. I think he's supposed huh? to run, uh, and that is, is his last race, the TVG free for all. That's cool at the Meadowlands. So I'm gonna get like three parkas and two sets of mittens and f- three helmets. Forget that, man. I found uh, I found my 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 Washington Redskins ski cap <laughs> that I, that I got during an Army Navy game when it was played there. Or JFK, RFK. Yep, yep. Like a retard. Uh, here's a guy that wears hats ninety nine percent of his life. Forgets to bring a hat, and it's above <laughs> eighteen degrees every day. So the gift shop only had Redskin stuff. So I bought a, a ski cap. So that's not bad. And it's it's not you know this was before the. The Washington football. The commanders? The yeah. Cobra commanders? I think they should, they, they, you know, if I bought the team, I would change it back to Washington football team. Yeah, that's okay. cool. I like that better than the commander. I did. The commanders are just, uh, it's like the Indians. What's their name now? The Guardians? That's Gar- weird. I always think of that stupid movie with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but it's uh, Buck Chuck. There's guardians on the bridge. Like, Cleveland has bridges. What? <laughs> I thought they were like south of the lake. It's like two horrible replacement names. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to put together a group to buy the Phoenix Suns. The price is high, though. Check. Gotta get Shaq involved. They're saying it might be in excess of $4 billion. Yeah, that makes sense. With a B. That's a B. Yeah. I mean, what did uh, what they 
that dude buy the Clippers for? Three billion? Three, but that's in LA. That and guy, it was also that, how, that, how that long guy, ago too. That, that guy bought it with pocket change. Yeah, he's like, oh, I got a spare three billion. If anyone out there is interested in getting involved in this project and has like three point nine 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 billion, we want to be in it. We want to be in on it. Yes. That means Joe Christofek is out because we're not buying Chicago Bulls. No, the Bulls are in trouble too, by the way. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, Joe. Lonzo Ball's knee is shredded. DeRozan's older. Levine's not playing for a contract anymore. What's well, that guy pack it in, sir. What's, what's that guy that got from the the Magic, the big center? Vucevic. Oh, Vucevic. Yeah, he's he's garbage. He just... He's eating way too much. I don't understand how somebody who's almost... or He's right at seven feet, and he never... Gets to the free free throw line. That's because he shoots three pointers. Right? Yeah, he shoots. He used to hit him. He doesn't hit him anymore. So, I think he eats too much of that deep dish pizza. <laughs> Lou Malinati. Lou Lou Malinati's sweet Lou's. Oh, and you had family news. Your 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 son got. Uh, yeah, he's shipped out to Hawaii. Hawaii, we're down. We're going to visit. Honolulu Downs. That's the track that needs to happen. And they're they're putting a casino at Disney. You know that? Are they really? Yeah. Can you win money, or are you gonna win like? I don't know, but they need to put a racetrack over there too. They got plenty of land. That they do. Well, now we've like totally blown up off the rails. Yeah, we went wild tonight. Oh, yeah, and, and if anyone asks why we didn't cover any of the two-year-old turf races, because, uh, you know, Europeans are going to win them. Just do it. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. The first That's just time. how it is. That's it's just, just what's how going it is. It's just the way it is. I mean, even Order of Australia found some form the other day. Didn't didn't run that bad. It ran good. Yeah. It ran good. This jockey didn't elbow anybody. <laughs> He is a great rider, man. That guy is... is it's ridiculous. He's really good. He's He's been a top, top rider for, for a long, long time. But but whatever, you know, just tried to kill a guy. What are you going to do? <laughs> Happens. It didn't... He didn't actually get it done. This time. But poor Sonny Leon got 15 days. Sumian's riding a million dollar race. It's at the same track. <laughs> or at the same circuit. <laughs> Guy's <laughs> riding everywhere for two weeks and nearly, until the suspension starts. Yeah. He, he gets suspended immediately, but then he gets to ride in a $6 million race where he almost wins. Then he, then he comes across the, the, the pond and rides in a million dollar race. And I'll be honest, if I had a horse in that day, Shit, man, you'd have been riding mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Joe Talamo or Barrano or uh, uh, Brian Hernandez. I'm sorry to, to tell you this, but paying the double jocks mountain. Mr. Sumian's taking the taking the reins. Well, that other guy that subbed in for him. 
Oh, that guy got that guy's like they they like put him under the jail, didn't they? Yeah, Chuck Pierre there. Yeah, he's like, Yeah, he got himself into a world of trouble. I don't even think he's. I don't know where he's. I, I don't know if he's. I thought jail. he's in jail. He might be. I don't even know. But you know, a lot of times these things happen, and then they get pushed under the ground, and you know. Yeah, that's here, but not over, not overseas. What was his last name? Pierre Boudot. Yeah, I haven't seen his name. Uh... Yeah, because I think he's in jail. Pretty sure. He might be in jail. I'm trying to find out. Yeah, he had some uh, serious allegations against him. Well, yeah, it was last May. The last I, I can find was that uh, he was suspended last year, but nothing is... Put it this way, he ain't got any major race wins in 2022. <laughs> no, nah, he hasn't even ridden. Oh, he's... Uh, yeah, in... Suspended, eh? August, he got three more months. They kept giving him... They, they keep giving him three-month bans. That might be the... The, um... The most they could give him? Yeah, yeah. So... Oh, no, he was indicted. I, I, I would think he's not on the street anymore. <laughs> he's, uh... His was a little more serious than just an elbow. But they're still coming. It'll be, uh, we should know, like, in the next couple weeks, get a better idea of, of which of the, the Europeans is actually going to come. I, I saw Appleby listed six horses. And they're all going to be winners. That's well, it. they're not all going to be winners because I think he's got two for a couple of the races, but... um. They're going to be serious contenders. You can Charlie Appleby. He's the U.S. is like an ATM for that guy. Like that kind of ATM. Yeah. Put his kids through Oxford with the money he makes in in the Breeders' Cup alone. <laughs> All right. Well, we've we've gone on to enough different tangents that uh, we've tangented out. It's time to go. If you made it this far, we have a, a gift for you. At some point, you just have to mention it to us. Yeah, lifetime achievement award. That's right. I keep finding like racing memorabilia here. My dad's got stashed away. Oh, so so funny! Uh, a guy texted me today. He said, "You should put your dad's uh, horses to watch list uh, on the Substack." I said, "My dad's gonna want to charge for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to get paid. <laughs> he, he won't give out that information. This is a Finger Lakes fun. That's right." He was telling me about a horse the other day. So he put on the list and 
he handicapped the race and, and, and he, he didn't bet the horse because he said, ah, he doesn't fit. And the horse won and paid $28. And he was, oh, yeah, he was complaining. He said, I, I just should bet the list horses. I said, yeah, you probably should. He had one the other day, Belmont, in the last race, back with the, the, the horse on Saturday, who won by like 10. At six to one, that was a that was a that was a Mr. Simon watch list horse. Matter of fact, he guaranteed me that the horse would win like two o'clock that day. He said, "I don't know who's going to win these stakes. I know who's going to win the last at Aqueduct." And well, he was right. The man got to get a hold of that golden list, huh? Oh, and then and shout out to our guy Jason Bitus. Picked up the oh, mouse. JB, JB, getting getting stakes wins. Won the turf classic and and the Vosberg. However weakened the Vosberg was, it still counts. <clears throat> On a Mr. good Lascano. horse, Cano should should keep the mount at War like Goddess because he rode it much better than Rosario did. Perfect. Matter of fact, Rosario might have cost that horse the Eclipse Award with that race because had she won that, now she's beaten males. You'd have to think she would be in in, in right it jumps in the lead because Regal Glory keeps getting beat by her own stablemate because they you know they don't put any pressure on her. But she's only in Italians won two grade ones, but that's all she's won. And well, I think she won a race at Tampa. Um, yeah, she did to start the season. Like a grade three, or I think it's a grade three, but um. Yeah, Warlike Goddess is going to run the Breeders' Cup turf against the boys. And if it was strictly an American race, you'd have to give her a big shot. Yeah, but it's However, not. <laughs> However, <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is the horses. We have no idea who the Japanese are sending over. They ran like four horses in the arc. We just got to make sure we get all of the Euros in there. We would... can't leave out one. Yeah, we can't have any AEs drawn in. Oh well. All right. We are uh we are like beyond Wait. we are beyond our, our 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 deadline. So thanks for everyone for listening and uh we will be back next week. Pleasant Acre Farms is a full-service breeding operation located in Morriston, Florida, just outside of Ocala. If you want to get involved in the breeding business in the Sunshine State, or you're already involved, Pleasant Acre Farms is really the only place you need to know. Joe and Helen Barbazon, who are just great people, do a fantastic job taking care of your mare. Uh, They have a solid roster of 13 stallions with a really diverse group of pedigrees, your mare will find a match at Pleasant Acre Farms. Currently, the star of Pleasant Acre Farms stallion roster is Neolithic, who is by far a runaway winner of the freshman stallion of the year here in the state of Florida. His son, Make It Big, just made it three for three, winning the $400,000 Springboard Mile at Remington Park, earning 10 points towards the Kentucky Derby in the process. Pleasant Acre Farms is... Your one-stop shop for breeding in the state of Florida. Check them out at www.pleasantacrestallions.com or on Twitter at 
P-A-S Stallions. You can also give them a call at 352-528-2885. Pleasant Acre Stallions, check them out. Hey guys, I wanted to make you aware of a new company that's out there making some really cool apparel and other swag. Fantac. www.fan-tac.com. Check it out. They've created a bunch of logos and stuff for uh, an expanding list of jockeys. And they also are doing some going in circles swag. So if you want any uh, t-shirts or hats, hoodies, and cell phone covers, check it out. Fantac, F-A-N-T-A-C-K. So Barry came up with an excellent idea. The Saratoga Racing Block, the Going in Circles Daily Saratoga Racing Block. Patterned sort of after the great Stephen Christ, who, when he worked for the Racing Forum, did a Saratoga Daily Block. Uh, Steve retired several years ago, and we figured, what the hell, let's, let's try to put our own together. And so far, it's gone seemingly... Well, if you haven't seen it, check it out at goingincirclesdigest.substack.com or we put the link up every day on Twitter, on Facebook, on uh, all sorts of social media. Uh, Check it out.